Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. If You Market is brought to you by Mountaintop Data and Joto PR, and I'm your host, Sky Cassidy, joined today by co-host Carla Jo Helms. Hi, guys. And uh, today we'll be talking with Mike Faherty of Pro Sales Connection about growth-driven marketing. I'm sure I messed up your last name, Mike. I'll apologize yeah, for that now, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll get back to you in a minute for the proper pronunciation. Uh, Mike's an entrepreneur and business leader with 20-plus years experience leading sales organizations in the technology and complex solutions markets. He's held senior roles in sales and marketing at innovative technology companies like Compaq and HP, and since 2008, he's been focusing his energy on building pro sales connection into an industry-leading B2B sales and marketing agency. Mike is recognized as an industry leader in the areas of sales development, lead generation, sales management, inside sales, technology sales, and business-to-business telemarketing. Mike, uh, really excited to have you on today to talk about growth-driven marketing. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, me too. And it's all about sales. You know, the I always say sales is part of the intelligent promotion cycle. Sometimes companies stop thinking about marketing when they get to sales, but it's, it's all part of it. So I'm really happy we're talking about this today. And I think uh, marketing doesn't think about sales enough sometimes. That seems to be kind of the uh, the genesis behind this, this um, revenue-driven marketing concept. Can you give us an overview if we're right on what we're saying and also your last name how how close do i get <laughs> and are you, you irish got, you got really close and of course mike Faraday is a very irish name yeah um i guess it's Faraday, but um i'm from texas so it just sounds like Faraday whenever i'm when i'm done but um yeah so thanks for that intro um I am, uh, it, it said I, I'm an industry leader or expert and it, it, there was like 14 things there. So uh, that sounded a little um, too self-promoting. So maybe that was, I think that's from my website, which is probably keyword focused there, but. Well, I, you know, we certainly uh, do have some expertise around here and uh, we are uh, an agency. We're a sales and marketing agency. We really work with clients to help B2B companies who have complex and technical solutions, we, are, we help them build their sales pipelines. That's ultimately what we're about. Um, there are a lot of great um, agencies out there who do a lot of really cool work. Um, we're very specialized in that we, we love to start our process in the middle of the funnel, which is a rather unique approach. Um, and that kind of leads into where we came up with this concept of fastest path to revenue. Um, it, it was kind of born out of <clears throat> my desire to show results as quickly as possible for my clients. I knew that if I could help them generate revenue quickly, that I had a better chance of keeping them for the long term. Right. right? They pay you more. They would say this works. They're not yeah. going to fall off before you even get the sales cycle done kind of. And, and when you say middle of the funnel for our listeners, yeah. um, delineate that for them. Cause everybody might have an idea. Sure. So, so uh, the way we look at the sales and marketing funnel, and we think it's a sales and marketing funnel, it's not just a marketing funnel, um, is <clears throat> that we, we kind of take the funnel, we break it into three parts. There's the top of funnel, um, and we, we, this is branding, this is uh, content marketing, this is your website, um, this is your social media uh, pages. These are sort of... Um, uh, these are your landing pages. These are the inbound mechanisms that you might build and have in place for a business. And a good 
well-run marketing organization would have a, a, some good top of funnel um, the more uh, ethereal dis disciplines. Thing, kind of. Yes, yeah. So, and then the bottom of the funnel is really the sales process. This is where um, a lead goes from someone that we're slightly engaged with to there's an actual opportunity. They've been qualified. Some people might call that a sales accepted lead or a sales qualified lead. And now they're moving into an opportunity and through to close. So those, that's the top of the funnel is sort of this broad branding inbound thing. The bottom of the funnel is the opportunity management. The middle of the funnel is what we call sales development is, or we think sales development sits in the middle there. And our, our goal is in our sort of, uh, belief is if we can impact the middle of the funnel, we that we can uh, we can dramatically improve the effectiveness of the organization and improve their ability to lower the cost of generating leads and generating sales, as well as feed the sales team with more and better qualified leads. So that middle of the funnel for us is everything that goes from a name has been identified, someone is engaged with uh, with the business, and we've had a conversation with them. We've qualified them um, and we've moved them to a meeting with the sales team. So a lot of organizations might look at that as sort of a handoff between marketing and sales. Every, every organization that we deal with, maybe the ones who don't have a sales development function in place effectively, um, they either, they do one of two things. They're either pushing the marketing team down so that they handle that piece of qualification and then there's a handoff at a meeting level to the sales development or to the sales organization, or they try to stretch the sales team up higher into the process. So the sales team is now working cold leads. And we think that doesn't really serve either of those organizations well. And so we think that middle of the funnel, if we can fix and develop consistent processes around the middle, that we can have a dramatic impact on the top of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel. So we start there and we think that that's the fastest path. Right. So I'm going to name drop. We had uh, Aaron Ross on uh, a couple episodes back. And <laughs> yeah. uh, it hasn't, hasn't aired yet as of this, but uh, once people are seeing this, it will. Um, and I mean, he's all about SDRs. So yeah. basically you guys are doing, you're a marketing agency. You're not as interested in, in the branding and kind of the ethereal stuff. You guys are focusing on the trench work, the, things, the stuff that sales, really wants done yeah. <laughs> the, the hard lead that that's they right. can pursue to close kind of. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. I think every organization when they're struggling to generate revenue, they, <clears throat> they come to a decision point and usually it's the CEO and sort of smaller organizations might be the VP uh, of sales or marketing or the chief revenue officer and maybe larger organizations, but they usually come to the conclusion that what we need is more leads or what we need is more meetings. They, right. they usually, at one point in time, something in their background, their experience, the conversation causes them to come to a conclusion that I either need more leads or I need more meetings. Um, when they say I need more meetings, a lot of times they'll find us because that's really what we're about is delivering meetings for our clients. Um, we think, you know, we don't think leads are as, as valuable as as meetings are to a sales right. organization. It's a more qualified lead that's actually going to result in revenues. So the revenue driven, it's, right. I suppose if you look at all your sales and you come back, you say, oh, what's the similarity? Very frequently it's, do you have that hard lead versus this person came to our website and left and then you have sales guys pursue that, not going to close like a meeting set type of a lead. No, I mean, no business really needs website visitors. No business really needs web leads. What they need are opportunities and they need revenue. 
Right. If that turns into sales, great. But if it doesn't, right. um, meetings right. do for sure. Yeah. And well, what we find is also it's, it's kind of interesting is um, at, at some point you can't afford to expand the top of the funnel to fix a bottom of the funnel problem. So right. if, you, if, if you haven't worked out how to move someone through the sales process, which we think starts in the middle and then moves down, um, if you haven't, if you don't have that piece optimized and really performing well and consistently, then you can't, you can't fix it by, you can't afford to fix it by adding more into the top of the funnel. You'll, right. you're like, well, we got a hundred and that's given us one deal and we need 10 deals. I can't afford to generate a thousand leads. I yeah. just, I don't have enough money to do that. And you might so, not even have a large enough target market. The top of the funnel is so leaky that. I mean, it's the middle there when you have those hard leads, um, they just convert at such a higher rate. You can actually rely on it. You don't have all the weird fraud type issues. If you're just saying, let's double our website traffic, how does that, how does that convert? There's so many points of failure. But when you have right. appointments set and you hand that to a salesperson, you're really limiting what can go wrong, I guess. Yeah, well, you isolate the problem. You can start to identify where the issues are within your your, your sales and marketing chain. Mm -hmm. What are the, what are the, what are the ratios for your organization? What are those conversion points and how are you performing? And where's the biggest opportunity for you to optimize that? If it takes you a hundred leads to get one meeting, well, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to try to improve that. That might be perfect for your business or that might mean you're going out of business. Every mm -hmm. organization is different. So you could say a uh, hundred leads to a meeting, you can get 200 leads or you could change that number to how about hundred leads for two meetings. Right. Um, so it's, in most organizations, in most, most of our clients, there's opportunities to make incremental changes there that can have a massive impact on the organization just by more effectively handling those. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I just got off the phone with a potential client, um, Today, just literally 30 minutes ago, we had a conversation. He said, I'm generating 100 leads a month, but we're not, our opportunity funnel is dying. We're not closing revenue. We're not growing the business faster. We're trying to raise money. People are losing confidence. I said, you've got 100 leads coming in. What's the problem? And, and he's got a, a six-figure solution um, that could, you know, he doesn't need tons of deals to show an improvement. He says, well, the quality's all over the place. I'm like, Okay. So we don't really know how many of the 100 are really, really good leads. And they don't know until the sales team qualifies them, which doesn't right. always happen fast enough. Or until they right. don't close, yeah. Then you find right. out. <laughs> well, what, what will happen is the sales organization that's been stretched, as I mentioned before, yeah. they've been stretched up into this role that's not their natural fit. They're not good at working cold leads. What they want are, are engaged people who have a problem that they can help them start to right. solve. So when you stretch them up into the sales development function, um, they're not as, a lot of times they're not skilled at it. it it's a slightly different skill set to be able to do that. They don't have the discipline and rigor. It's to make demoralizing sure that, too. They don't yeah. want to do that. They yeah. want to close deals. Yeah. And so to tell them that here's the deal, you're going to get a lead. That lead needs to be called in five minutes and you need to call it seven times the next week. They're just not geared to be able to do that. But that is oftentimes what it takes. So a lot of times we'll step into that process there. What is your ideal client? I'm curious, like when you say, 
you know, helping guys in this middle area, what would that, what would that look like? So one quick thing, Mike, ideal client, what it looks like, let me jump in real quick. You said something that that's always a trigger for me. You said you need to call within five minutes. And I know there's this stat out there that someone created that said, it showed how the sales drop off when, when a lead comes in, if you don't call within X amount of time, this podcast is about business to business marketing. And I'd like to put out my opinion on this, which I, I think is right, because that's why I have it. And that, <laughs> that stat is total bullshit for B2B marketing. Because if you're a consumer, then yes, if you don't get back to within five minutes, they're going to buy the product somewhere else. But when somebody's looking at CRMs or, or, or whatever your B2B product is, their purchasing cycle is so much longer. That five minute window, if they come to your site and fill a form or they come to a live chat or something like that, it's just, it's not real. It doesn't exist. You've got to get back to them within 24 hours just for good customer service. But I don't believe in that quick turnaround. I think that's a consumer stat that we've all grabbed onto. And you have managers just beating their sales guys up because it took them 10 minutes to call somebody back that left a voicemail. It's like, no. It might be a Every business is different depending on what they're selling, right? Right, right. But everybody thinks that's a real stat. You're going to lose yeah. 50% yeah. sales. You don't get back to them in five minutes. Is it? So I've never heard five minutes. But. Yeah, so so that that's just illustrative. But but I, I do think it's born in reality. So in a world where you know we're making thousands of phone calls every single day here at Pro Sales Connection, and, we're, um, and sometimes we're working our own inbound leads, and other times we're working leads that our clients are generating. And again, we've stepped into that process because we've recognized that the client isn't exceptionally good at actioning those leads uh, quickly and actioning them thoroughly. And the marketing team, who's oftentimes our client, the one who's hired us, is looking to try to establish what is the true baseline. I'm generating leads, but I don't have enough data to know whether I'm doing it well or, or uh, am I giving my, my sales team the information they need that can actually turn into a pipeline or or am I the problem? They're trying to figure out what the issue is. And one of the ways that we want to, we want to eliminate as many variables as we can for them. So one variable is we want to action those leads quickly. I know that anecdotally, we've got some data points here and I'm sorry, I don't have them off the top of my head, but we know that when we call clients faster, our connect rate goes up. Okay? Right. So, so it's anecdotal right now. I, and, and we've got some data that supports that, but does that mean it needs to be five minutes? No, I don't think so. Um, however, I do think that when people are in, uh, when B2B buyers uh, and B2B decision makers are in research mode, um, they're not just looking at your site and then moving no, on to do something else. They're, they're going to leave. They're going to fill out a form. They're going to leave. They're going to the next guy. Yep. They're going to do that. And they're busy, right? Do we all agree that B2B buyers and decision makers are extremely busy people? They're so extremely the more, busy. And once they go on to the next thing, it's like, yeah. even if you get with them, they might have to get back with you later, right? Well, they only have, they only have so many cycles for so many salespeople. Right. So if I can get involved and get engaged with them, they're likely to stop looking uh, because yeah. they only have so many times to have so many conversations. So yeah. we think that speed um, and actioning leads is actually an important factor. I don't think five minutes is a magic number. Um, so if I gave that impression, I, I, I didn't mean to, but no, I don't you, think that that's a ma- magic number. It's a trigger for me. I would say if somebody calls you and you don't answer the phone, that's going to reduce your chances. If somebody comes on a live chat and they sit there for five minutes and nobody comes on, you're definitely shooting yourself in the foot. Somebody but if somebody emails you and you, and you don't get back to them for two form, weeks. <laughs> yeah. If you take, in my opinion, more than 24 hours, it's just yeah. bad customer service and yeah. the impression, oh, this company isn't, they're not interested. They're not going to right. work with me. They're not there for me. 
But right. if somebody leaves you a voicemail and you take an hour to get back, I'm like, I don't, unless, like you said, Mike, if you get back right away, you know, they're at their phone. So they're much more likely to answer yes. And I, I would that's, say that's a factor. due diligence probably ends for most people um, as soon as they have a conversation with somebody. So yeah, like you said, yeah. a lot of us, yeah, we need to get three quotes. But as soon as you have a long conversation with somebody that seems good, you're like, you know what? I got other things to do. I don't need to go find. That's it. true. But so true. We, yeah, well, we, we see how that. Are, we see that. Yeah. How would our listeners know? Like, I really need to develop more of my sales development. What's an ideal, like, what are some triggers where they need to contact someone you or look at this or figure this out? Yeah. I, I think there's two scenarios where, where sales development becomes really, really important. Um, the first is probably their biggest pain points too. Yeah. Right. So the one is I'm generating a volume of leads, Yeah. but I'm uh, this scenario we've already talked about. I'm generating a volume of leads, but I'm not confident they're being actioned thoroughly. And so I'm wondering what's really in there. I'm being told by the sales team that all the leads are crap, right? That, that we go through <laughs> this as marketers, right? Hey, I, I, you sent me 20 leads last week. I called three of them. They were terrible. They were college kids that were doing research papers. I don't have time for that. Right? right. So we've all heard something like that. Um, and that's real. Right. So, um, very real. but what the marketer is always concerned about is he knows he or she knows in their heart that there's 17 more that they didn't call. And there was probably five really good ones in there somewhere. Yeah. And so how do I get, how do I prove to the sales organization that, that there's five good leads in there, but you have to call the 20 to find the five. Like how do I so the volume solve that problem? Is up but the quality is an unknown quantity and it's really not even realized. Right. Right. So okay. if you think the sales organization isn't thoroughly working the leads and if um, you've got questions about the quality and you're getting anecdotal feedback from the sales organization that the quality is bad, but you're not hundred percent convinced that can be a great opportunity for us to step into that gap and say, look, we're going to put everyone through a disciplined and rigorous process and we're going to give you real data. We're going to come up with three conclusions after we engage those customers. They're disqualified. They're never going to buy from you. They're not a fit. They're, they're never going to be your customer. They are qualified and they're ready to engage the sales organization. And we're going to schedule a, a scheduled meeting on your calendar in Outlook with an agenda. And everyone knows why they're there to meet. And then the third scenario, which is they need to be moved. They're a, they're a fit, but not right now. And they need to be moved into a nurturing cycle. And so the marketing team can take those leads back and so oh, and figure out what they need to do to warm those leads up and nurture those leads through a process until they're ready to engage. Got now, it. That's extremely exciting to a marketing organization to know that I put 100 in, I get 100 answers out. And I, and I can measure that and I know what I'm dealing with. So that's one scenario, not to give you too long of an answer. But, but that's, the, that's probably the biggest pain point. Yeah. So for larger, more mature organizations, that's really, really common. Yeah. Um, our other target customer that we do a lot of work with are sort of these um, emerging um, companies. Yeah. Um, we call them sometimes emerging enterprise clients. These are, these are people that are small right now, but they have aspirations of being very large. They're past proof of concept. Um, and they're, they're beginning to scale the business. They might, uh, they're usually run by the founder. They're maybe at a few million dollars, three, four, five million dollars in revenue. They've hired one or two or three salespeople who were gray haired industry vets who have a Rolodex, you know, and so they, they've got their team and 
they, that team has now worked through their entire network and the pipeline is built up, but the CEO can see around the corner and see that the conversation rates are going down. The pipeline trend is starting to go down. Revenue might be going up because we're still closing that pipeline, but these guys have sort of exhausted who they already knew. And they're, they're starting to panic that I need to put fresh things into this pipeline. And, and so they go to the approach to sales team, they get them together one day and they have a rah rah say, Hey, here's, here's the deal guys. We need to start doing more prospecting. We need to start outreach to customers. And those guys look at them and go, sure, sure. We'll do that. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. How many cold calls do you want? Right. So, and yeah. if those of you who are just listening to this, I'm shaking my head. No. So, you know, there's, they give a mixed message, right? I want to do it because it's the right thing to do for the business, but Hey man, I've already done that. I've, I've got yeah. the gray hairs to prove it. Yeah. And uh, again, throwing back to, I mean, you're talking so much about the sales development uh, position. Um, something that Aaron Ross said the other week was he said, your first salesperson should spend half their time as an SDR. Your second salesperson should be an SDR. He said, having two salespeople and zero SDRs, you're wasting your salesperson. If your salesperson's good, if you have two people who are in training, um, he didn't say this, maybe I'll, maybe I'll say two people who are in training, maybe you're gonna have them both doing both tasks. But if it's already a proven salesperson, if it's not just somebody you know, straight out of college, straight out of high school, that you're training to do the job, have them sell, have an SDR, supercharge that salesperson, keep them happy, let them close deals, like that's what you want them doing instead of cold calling. Nothing wrong with cold calling, just don't have somebody who's not a cold caller doing it. No, I, I would 100% agree with that. The way I've always kind of phrased that with our clients is, look, let's bury your salespeople, right? That, that's when you know when it's time to add another sales guy. Just you don't bury hire, them and work, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't hire a sales guy to, generate, to build a pipeline. Yeah. You hire a sales guy to work and close a pipeline. Yeah. Right? And so we need, to, we need to put that guy, we need to bury him. And that's when you know it's time to hire that next sales guy. And a lot of times I give that advice to entrepreneurs who are founder and, and they're the sales guy to get started. And they're like, well, I need to hire a salesperson because I have to get out of this role. I'm like, yeah. no, not yet. Like you either need to hire an SDR to put so many meetings on your calendar that you can't go to all of them. Or you need to engage in an agency like ours who can build and develop that sales development process for you, optimize it uh, as a service and then begin to hire salespeople. Once we've put you underwater and you can't handle it anymore, that's whenever we need to hire a sales guy. Always, SDR always yeah, works, so I agree with Aaron on that. It's probably a lot easier to hire and keep quality salespeople when the problem your salespeople are having is we have too many good leads to pursue, not all the leads you give me right. are shit. Like uh, if you interview a salesperson and, and they have them talk to your other salespeople and they say, oh yeah, the issue here, we need you because we have too many quality leads. You want to make some money? We've got all this money to be made. I think good salespeople don't want to sell snow to Eskimos. They want to sell the snow in the Sahara. They want that, that easy low hanging fruit, the high returns. They want to make money. They don't want to bust their ass on an impossible task. They have nothing to prove. They just want to make, make money. It reminds me of that administrative law of uh, volume or, or, you know, quantity, quality, viability. So quantity doesn't necessarily mean just the most volume there is. There's a volume that sounds like for each particular business, right? You may not need a, like a hundred leads per month. So you figure out your, your quantity, right? But then you definitely have to maximize the quantity, the quality 
which is what you're talking about with yep. your middle of the funnel process in order to get that long-term survival, like that viability. Well, when I look it, at that, I go, that makes such like, it's, it seems to be such common sense, but mm-hmm. you know, I haven't really developed that yet. And it's like, it's like, it's almost a revel, you know, revelation. Like, yes, that's where that goes. Yeah. A lot of marketing is overwhelmed right. with volume. It's just, but you know, they yeah. forget the quality aspect. Do you know right. what I mean? Like you really, that's where all the, that's where I think we get lazy. You yeah. Know, well, it's like, it's a lot of, I, w- I would imagine developing this was a lot of work. Well, yeah, well, it's taken 11 years to really figure out w- what these dynamics really are. And so <laughs> yeah. it, it, it takes, it does take some time. I think that gets back to the, you know, that, that uh, kind of that concept that I shared with you a minute ago. It's like, you can't, oftentimes you can't afford to scale the top of the funnel. You um, can't, you, no. You just, yeah. So, uh, but so, you know, that, that old expression, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So if all you know how to do is build top of funnel, <laughs> if, all, if all you know how to do is build the top of the funnel, then I'm going to kill that mosquito. Where's that damn hammer? <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's, that's where you go where with that. It? Let's right? get the sledgehammer out. Yeah, exactly. So, so what we found is, is something we haven't really talked about yet is, you know, so there's enough, so it's important. The middle of the funnel is good for, um, for very quickly getting to the fastest path to revenue, right? So that's important, but it also serves another purpose. And that is they're, they're really kind of, let me back up to another sort of broader concept is that from a pipeline development standpoint, and certainly from a sales development standpoint, there are really four levers that we're working with every single day. And there's only four levers. It is, what are they? Those levers are, you know, the, who we're going to contact, our audience, our list, however you want to phrase that, right? So who are we going to contact? What is the volume or the level of activity that we're going to create around reaching that that audience or that list? What is the message that we're going to share with them? What's our offer? What's the message? What's the value proposition that we're going to share with them? And then how do we deliver that message? So whenever we're, when we're looking at a program that is working or not working and we want to analyze how well it's doing, we look at those four things. So if it's not performing as well as we wanted to, hey, let's start with the list. Do we feel like the list is good? You know, and there's some metrics that we can use to measure that. Okay, well, this list is not ideal. So let's see if we can't improve that. Is it, are we making enough calls? Are we doing enough outreach? Is there enough activity? Yes, that all seems like it's at where it should be and it's optimized. Okay, great. What is the message? Do we have a powerful message that causes people to respond with, oh, that's interesting. I need to hear more about that, right? So how compelling is our message? And then what's the delivery? And a lot of times that's a, a, that's a, a rougher one to quantify because that might be the tone of voice. It might be the age of the person making the phone call. It might be the sex of the person making the phone call. It could be a lot of different factors going into that. How cheerful are they? How serious are they? right? Uh, How confident are they in delivering the message? So we've got this delivery thing. That's a real factor that can impact the success of the program. So when we look at all four of those dynamics, we go, okay, so we can, we take these levers and we kind of tweak them here and there. We go, okay, yeah, that we got that one just about where it needs to be. Now let's look at this one here and we can improve the overall uh, impact um, of the organization or of not of the organization, but of the, of the program for our clients. So when we do that, one of those big so kind of getting to my point, um, message, right? So message is such a powerful thing. Yeah. It's such a powerful thing. So we feel like by concentrating and starting with the sales development piece that we can, we can um, define what message works faster. 
because we're engaging with real people that are considering or might consider using your product or service. Yeah. So, and at a larger volume, I guess, so you get more. Yeah, we're going to have hundreds of phone calls. We're going to have thousands of phone calls in a week or a month, depending on the scale of the program. And we're going to have lots of conversations with the people that you want to do business with. And those are two-way conversations. So we can learn what are they responding to? What are they not responding to? What objections are they carrying that we can work out? How do we change the way that we're positioning this? How do we, do we include that objection handling earlier in the conversation to kind of take that off the table? And we can learn what message really resonates with your target market. And then that becomes really powerful because once you know what that message is, then you start, you can look up. Yeah. Go, okay. Now that's, I've got my message now. right. That's your right. button, right? That's it, right? So push now, it, push it. yeah, so now I know what, if I know, if I'm confident I've got the message, I've got all the metrics that, that prove that this is the right thing and that we can grow the business based on this message because we can measure everything down this conversation turned into this many meetings, turned into this many opportunities, turned into this many deals. And what's the value of those deals? Now you've got that real hard numbers. And you look at that and go, okay, I know right. exactly how much I can afford to share that message with the broader market. I know exactly what it's going to cost me to do that. And I know how much I can afford to spend in order to get the return that I'm looking for. Wow. So really dialing in that message is powerful. I've got to jump to a really quick break here. Um, as we go to break, I want to throw a question to you to think about a real softball here for you. And that's, does marketing work for sales? You've got the whole break to think this over. Some people believe sales works for marketing, marketing works for sales. Some people silo them and they, they don't, they other. just kind of connect them barely together. I think different companies, different models work well, but in your opinion, does marketing work for sales? We'll be right back uh, with Mike Ferti, CEO of Pro Sales Connection. You're listening to the If You Market podcast. Connected to Fiber provides authoritative location-based insight and application for network buyers and sellers, helping those folks participate in more deals, target the right companies, and price more effectively, all with location-based intelligence. Connected Fiber can be found at connected to the digit two fiber.com and found on LinkedIn or Facebook under Connected to Fiber. Welcome back to the If You Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Today we're talking with Mike Ferti of Pro Sales Connection. He is the CEO over there. We're talking about revenue-driven marketing. And Mike, I had a question for you before the break. Does marketing work for sales? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, that's that's kind of a controversial um, question because I think I think there are two different things. I mean, does does you know logistics work for operations? I mean, I I, I don't know. I think they're they're two separate things, but. I come from, look, I come, I came up as a salesperson. So I came out of the sales organization. And so um, I had a, a mentor early in my career said, you know, always stay close to the cash register. Um, and I, I think, I think that's always sort of kind of stayed with me that ultimately I think everyone works for sales, don't, don't they? Um, so, so yeah. everyone ultimately, should, yes. yeah. Some marketers really think they're special. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, well, there's a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of organizations I've worked with HR departments thought that everyone worked for them. Um, but <laughs> I, th I think ultimately if you got to admire them though, <laughs> <laughs> I do admire that bossiness, no matter who it is. <laughs> I, 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 I would I say if you go back to the movie casino, if, if you make people money, you always have a job. The salespeople are the ones at the end of the day that can say, I brought this in, a good salesperson. Yeah, and I think we all, you know, if you're working in a large organization and you can find a way to contribute to the sales organization generating revenue, um, you've done, that's valuable effort and that's quantifiable 
which sometimes is missing in a lot of different roles in organizations. So I think, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I would say that, look, everyone works for sales, including the marketing department. I agree. Show them the love. Let's show sales the love. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of really a who reports to who, uh, who's responsible to, to who type of a thing. Some organizations, it does make sense for sales to report to marketing and be accountable to marketing. But most places, I think, yes, marketing is, is working for sales and uh, needs to do sales bidding when it comes to generating leads and, and everything you're talking about. Um, can you give us some, some tips? People want to do, your company does this. This is what you do for a living. This is what your company does for your clients. But a lot of companies are going to do this in-house. Right. They want to take this concept of revenue-driven marketing and apply it in-house. Can you give some, some kind of do's and don'ts for people looking to do that? Yeah, I think, um, uh, so it, the, sales development is, um, is a personality-driven function, right? So, that, you know, I've already mentioned there's these four levers, right? You know, your list, um, you know, the activity level, the message, and the delivery. Well, the activity level and the delivery are very much dependent on the person. So, are they, are, are they afraid to pick up the phone? Do they have call reluctance? We call it sometimes in the in the sales development world, right? So we want someone that um, is anxious to have conversations with the prospects. I have guys that just get upset if I slow them down. Like they just want to move fast. That's yeah. really what, yeah. what they just want to go that, you know, and I, sometimes I have to slow them down. I think I, I personally I believe that. Great. Yeah. I personally believe that there's a law of diminishing return around the volume of, uh, of phone calls that a person can make. I think once you get over a certain number, you're actually doing more harm than you're doing good. And so, um, so Interesting, yeah, I've always told our people, our salespeople, I don't want them making more than 50 yeah, calls a day. Yeah, and, salesperson, you're not cold calling. Our cold callers can make yeah. 200 and they should be high-fiving themselves when yeah. they hit that number, a salesperson. And then if you want an SDR and they cringe at picking yeah. up the phone and making 30 calls in a day, they're yeah. not an SDR. So, so I would say, uh, when you're hiring people, look for people who are, uh, predisposed to be active and want to engage or are anxious to get on the phone and have conversations. And then I would also say when you're looking to, to bring on those uh, sales development reps that uh, there's a couple of things we could spend a few minutes here, but um, just quickly, um, it, you need someone who is engaging, right? Uh, so yes. it, 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 right. I need someone, you want someone that people want to talk to, right? They need to, they need to be friendly. They need to be kind. They need to have a generous and confident tone of voice. That is what you dead in the prospect. Not, yeah, that, not trying to be interesting, but interested. Right. So right? not Ben Stein, basically. <laughs> like you need someone who right. has a, a tone. They can yeah. talk. They, the voice goes up yeah. and down. They don't put. Yeah. So I, I have um, when I'm hiring SDRs, um, I have someone who has has zero experience in the sales development world. Do the first the first meeting is a phone screen. I look at a resume and then we talk to them and I don't talk to them. I have someone else on our team, give them a phone call. They're not a hiring manager. They're just doing a screen and that they have one question. Can they communicate well and were they pleasant to talk to? If they can communicate right. well and they're pleasant to talk to based on their resume, I might decide to bring them in and actually have an interview. But if, they, if they're not pleasant to talk to, it makes no difference to me what they've done in their career. It makes absolutely no difference. So I would, I would look yeah. at, I would look at that. Just you're really hiring for a tone of voice and a confidence and a friendliness. That's really, really important. And then I think the third point, if I was going to give three, would be make sure that, this is kind of a broader thing, it's just a pet peeve, 
make sure that when you're building a compensation plan for a sales development person that you're building it around what they control and not what they don't control. I think it's a big mistake to have sales development people compensated on closed deals if they're not involved in the sales process. Mm. Right, right. So compensate them on the leads yeah. and make sure they're Yeah, give leads. them some KPIs, things that they have very, you know, they've got clear control over um, and, and then measure them to that and set the standard where they can earn extra money if they achieve those certain standards for you. But to ask them to have a part of their paycheck tied up and whether or not that sales guy values the lead that they created and does the follow-up or is, has the abilities or the skills to get that deal closed, I think it's kind of unfair. So, yeah. Yeah. You could also get just kind of political infighting. The yeah. sales, the SDR is like, I, I don't want this guy to get the right. lead because he sucks at closing. Exactly. <laughs> that happens. That's real world. It happens every single day in sales development yeah. teams. I think it's kind of a mistake. So there's, there's a couple points. Instead of worrying about generating leads, they're worrying about who's going to get it, what's going to happen with right. it, all this other stuff that they're yeah. focused well, on. I've seen sales development reps who will call back behind a sales rep to find out, hey, what happened on that call? Did he show up on time? I mean, whoa, that is not right. the culture you want. And that, could, that can hurt the, the, the sales Absolutely. process. Yeah. Interesting. Now, do you think sales development reps, should they be progressing on to a sales position eventually? Yeah. Should that be something that's part of the incentive is, is to get there or are they lifetime SDRs? Yeah. I guess it or depends on their goals and career goals and what they're good at, huh? Yeah, I think it can. I, I think, you know, that's interesting. You asked that question because I was actually going to add that, but I, I decided to let it go. When we were talking about who they, uh, who does the, who works for who the marketing team work for the sales team or vice versa. And so what we find, it's a really interesting conversation when you talk about sales development, because in some organizations, sales development is inside the marketing team. Another organization, it's seen as kind of a junior salesperson, and they're meant to grow, quote unquote, into sales reps, right? It's a proving ground for becoming a salesperson. It's a farm, it's a farm league, league, yeah. right? So I personally think that, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. I think it's... Um, very reasonable to think that a sales development person could develop their skills and grow into a salesperson who's managing a territory or managing a book of accounts. I think that's very reasonable. I also think that there are a lot of really good sales development people who want to be sales development people. And I think um, they're stabilizing to an organization. So I think an ideal organization has a little bit of both. It has some people that are looking to try to, you know, use this as a springboard to the next thing. And other people within that, it, within the organization are sort of the constant that allow you to sort of fold in and bake in new people and they know the culture and they know the expectations and they can coach and mentor people. It could be a really good hiring that. tool for yeah. you know, sales. Right. right. So if they love that job, don't promote well, look, them. I, I have, I've built my business. My guys are never going to be account managers. So I've built my business looking for right. the ones who are like, I know it's weird. I just want to do this. Like, great. <laughs> come winning here. at it. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. This is this. If this feels comfortable to you, we've got a place for you on our team. Yeah. Fantastic. We're getting really yeah. close to the end here. I want to make sure we get everything in. Um, somebody looking to, to develop this strategy, the revenue driven marketing, uh, the middle of the sales funnel, strategy to make sure their marketing is focusing on generating hard leads that close. Are there any specific 
techs out there that they should be that they should be using martech yeah. uh, sales tech that they should well there, there's help. a lot of different things that can be used but i think fundamentally um you can't do this well unless you have a crm in place and i, I you know it seems strange it's 2000 what is it 19 now people really Two, not have a crm oh, i talk to them every single day that we, we just haven't got to that yet um and so yeah. uh, I, th I think it's it's step one um, it, when I'm talking with early stage business guys, you know, who are sort of in the minimal viable product stage who are looking to try to grow their business, I, I you know, that's my first thing is, hey, let's get a CRM in place. Um, that needs to be the foundation for everything else that you do. You need to be developing a list of people who might consider buying your product. Where are you going to put that? Okay. And putting it in MailChimp, you know, that's fine if that's what you want to use for sending email. But I think that data is better served inside a CRM where you can begin to grow it and uh, expand on it and complete it over time. And so, really see the sales stage yeah, as an opportunity, right. right? So, so yeah, I'd say salespeople in general hate CRMs. They hate entering the info that the rest of the company is asking them to enter. Yeah, they don't have a CRM where all the contacts are, then they yeah. hate that yeah. even more. So yeah, they hate that even more. I think, um, I, I think, I, I, you know, it's 2019 again. I, th I think that, most enterprise level or successful B2B sales guys are either, maybe they're not selling enterprise, maybe they're selling into SMB, but they're a professional sales organization selling a complex or technical solution. They recognize the value of organizing their data inside a CRM. Um, I think that, you know, I've always said, I think a, a salesperson can really effectively manage probably 15 relationships in their inbox. You get past 15, and you're dead in the water. You're going to drop the ball. And it takes a quite a skilled person to manage 15 uh, relationships just using Outlook. Yeah. They think they, they can. Think they I can. think they can remember it. They think We always tell our guys, they think they have yeah. a great memory. It's like the waiter who thinks, oh, I don't need to take everybody's order. There's 15 people at this table. Right. I got this. Everybody gets yeah. the wrong thing, the wrong time, wrong table. And, and you, can't afford, you can't afford it. Yourself to do that. Don't you don't have to remember everything, manage yeah. things. Just yeah, get a CRM. absolutely. Yeah. And I think there, when you have a CRM, you know, uh, we're big fans of HubSpot. Uh, we think HubSpot, it, it, we love that it connects the two organizations that we're talking about. We love that the CRM is connected to the marketing uh, technology, the you know marketing automation platform. We think that that makes a lot of sense because we think those organizations are connected. They're connected right at the world that we live in, in the middle of the funnel. So HubSpot is a great tool. It's one of the, it's a great one to get started because it's free um, as a CRM. If you're an early stage company, it's a great place to go. If you want to help with that, give us a call. Yeah. If you're early stage and you don't have a CRM, if it's just time, they're pretty simple to implement these days. You only have a handful of contacts. I, don't know, I guess reach out to Mike. Yeah. He can probably help you get the contacts into the system if that intimidates yeah. you. But it's, so being organized is such a big benefit to your salespeople when they the amount of free time they're going to get to actually sell when they're not opening because you've got SDRs or you've got a company like Mike's that's handling that process or, and you have a CRM so they can move through the stuff they need to. Everything's there. They don't have to search through their outlook or whatever right. they're using constantly for every single call. Takes right. forever. Um, this has been awesome, Mike. I want to get make sure we get a couple things, uh, a couple things out of the way here. Is there anything else you want to put out there about revenue-driven marketing? Well, well sure, no problem. Yeah, so we've we've been uh, building on this concept of growth-driven marketing for the last, um, you know, for the last eleven years, and uh, we we figured out some things along the way. So we'd love to share what we've learned. We've created a 
uh, a short, free, uh, five-video educational series. It just kind of talks through the foundational elements, what needs to be in place to do this, how to do this, and how to do it well. Uh, we've got that available on our website, again, for free. Just go to prosalesconnection.com slash growth. So prosalesconnection.com slash growth. And um, you can kind of enroll in that program and get those videos. Um, they're kind of down and dirty, quick videos that kind of break down this process and kind of walk uh, people through it so they can get a little bit more information. Awesome. And we'll put that, uh, that website on the uh, show notes at ifyoumarket.com awesome. as well. So one more domain. For people <laughs> That's remember, right. But uh, yep. If you don't remember, prosalesconnection.com, prosalesconnection.com slash growth. Try to remember ifyoumarket.com. That's the podcast here. Uh, also, Mike, people want to find you, I imagine, on LinkedIn. Just put in your name, uh, last name, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y. So Mike yep. Ferti. And we'll put a link uh, link there on the on the show notes as well. Anywhere else that uh, that people should look? For no, you? that that's uh, that's it. I mean, you you can find me everywhere else, Twitter, and um, uh, we've got a Facebook page and Instagram and everything else. But um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest way and the most meaningful way to connect with me uh, personally. And then um, certainly uh, you can reach us through our website. We've got forms all over the place that you can fill out if you'd like more information and a lot of cool resources and articles where we've talked about this specific challenge. So, you know, just as another plug, if you're, if you're in a marketing organization, you're struggling with where does this piece fit? Where should it be? Should it be yours? Should it be in the sales team? We've written extensively about that challenge and the uniqueness of it. So you find a lot of cool stuff on our site. And you mentioned earlier on something that should click with people. If you're looking to really grow fast and you're saying, Oh, we don't know how we're going to, generate all the leads we need for our sales guys to, to hit their close ratio and hit the sales numbers that we want. That's where, you know, this particular process is designed for that. And Mike's company specifically does, um, does that. They can help kind of supercharge a sales team and cover that gap between the brand marketing and the, uh, the sales part of the funnel. Absolutely. All right. Well, you can find the, the show notes and more information on Mike uh, Ferti on ifyoumarket.com. And please, please share this podcast on social media. Tell your friends, uh, subscribe on iTunes, all that good stuff. And on behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Mike Ferti of Pro Sales Connection, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it, they will come. The If You Market podcast is brought to you by Mountaintop Data. And at Mountaintop Data, we're all about data for B2B marketing. Our goal is to improve the quality, depth, and coverage of our clients' targeted marketing data while removing the technical pain of accessing and implementing data. We help with everything from new target contacts to appending and cleaning existing data, all with the goal to free you and your team up to focus on creating great marketing experiences. Check us out online at mountaintopdata.com and sign up for our new top data search tool, and get free access to search our database of over 30 million business contacts. Use the code hashtag IYM when signing up and get 200 free credits. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.